Uh, <coughs> my name is David Higgins. Good morning and yes, good morning and uh, welcome to this session this morning. Uh, I'd like to uh, briefly introduce to you uh, two of my colleagues um, who both work for Te Runanga o Naitahi for the archive team, which is a really busy team uh, within our organisation. Takare Norton on the uh, far right. Some of you might recognise Takare, but I'll tell you about that later. And <laughs> Helen Brown, <laughs> Helen Brown, the, the lady that does all the work. Uh, <laughs> uh, all the important work anyway. Um, Takare leads our archives team uh, at uh, uh, the, uh, the tribal headquarters here in Christchurch. And over the years, uh, he and his team have managed to uh, put together a, a pretty interesting program that uh, is now finding favour amongst groups such as yours uh, and uh, even further afield. Uh, even this morning, we were speaking with our kaifakahaere, our chairperson of uh, our tribal council, and she informed us that uh, the Iwi Chairs group, uh, which represents most of the tribe tribes throughout New Zealand um, uh, are very interested in individually um, having our guys uh, present this, this program uh, to, uh, uh, to them. So that's exciting for us and exciting for our young people. Um, <coughs> it was interesting coming here today and it was a little sad because across the road from here, we are next door to the uh, Price Waterhouse building, or what's left of it, was the home of the Naitahu Māori Trust Board for many years, 127R Ma Street. And I was the youngest Trust Board member. Uh, I became a Trust Board member at the age of 18. I met Mr. Uh, Sir Tipani Aurig, and I thought, what the hell have I met here? <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we were all very closely uh, connected by Whakapapa, uh, closely related, the... Uh, the trust board members, and we spent a long time over here on 127R Ma Street before we eventually moved to uh, Hereford Street in the uh, Reserve Bank building, prior to the earthquakes, of course. Um, <clears throat> in that time, the claim, the NATO claim, was, uh, 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 was commenced, and our uh, prosecution, be prosecution before the Waitangi Tribunal uh, began uh, at Rangiora, of all places, and uh, we spent the next three or four years um, uh, pursuing our claims before that Waitangi, Waitangi Tribunal. Uh, we didn't have the technology we have today, of course, and uh, we were very limited. I think we actually had one uh, photocopier that was uh, sort of like a big Kenworth truck. Um, <laughs> we had to wind it up and then wind it down when they finished at the end of the day. That's all we had for the whole tribe. So all our papers, all our presentations and submissions before the tribunal began with this Kenworth truck. Um, and everything occurred here across the road at 127 Armagh Street. Quite a different place today. Um, <clears throat> what we did was after we settled as a tribe with the, uh, with the Crown, um, we thought of a number of us actually, a group of us, decided that it was time to uh, actually put some of this material that we weren't able to gather uh, in a form so that it was available for our young people. Uh, and uh, 
as most of you are probably aware, um, um, our tribal uh, mantra, if you like, uh, the whole kaupapa is based on for us and our children after us. Mō tātou, mō kā uri a muri aki nei. So uh, we have uh, uh, created this Naitahu Atlas. We've created the process where we've put this, uh, all of our uh, knowledge, our mātauraka of our people throughout this whole rohe, the tribal um, area uh, within Te Waiponamu, together for our future generations. And our future leaders, like these two sitting beside me, um, are those that are going to carry that uh, responsibility on from now on. So I hope you enjoy this presentation. These guys are getting pretty good at it. Uh, and I count them out of 10, so I'll be watching to see how well they <laughs> perform today. Nō reira tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou ka hui hui mai tātou katoa. Kia ora. Kia ora mō tātou, me ki tātou. As David said, my name's um, Tākere, and I'll be sort of leading the presentation with David and, and Helen. So um, we're going to kick off by playing just a short uh, video, something about uh, six minutes long. And um, it's really um, our kaumātua talking about what the project means to them. And you'll see a whole lot of footage of us working behind the scenes um, and bringing this whole project to life. Uh, we're then going to show you sort of all the work that we've done over the last 10 years, researching mapping nearly 6,000 traditional uh, Māori place names. Um, Helen will then talk about some of the key maps we've used to bring the project to life. Uh, then we'll do a live demonstration of the Atlas, and we'll show you bits and parts of the website as well. Um, this is a public website, so anyone can access this at any time. Maybe not now. Oh, no, you can now because we're hooked up to the proper internet, though, so you can Wi-Fi and freestyle it if you want and that. Um, but it's all publicly available to anyone, and really the idea is getting this information out to our people, schools, communities, museums, and really bringing this information um, and knowledge to life, really. Um, and we're also going to talk about several people um, this morning as well. Um, and a few of them are in our book, Tangata Naitahu, which is a book of 50 Naitahu biographies that um, Helen led on our behalf. And what we're really trying to do is create this Naitahu archival search engine, this Naitahu Google, this one-stop shop where you can come and you can read place names, you can look at the manuscripts, the maps, traditional uh, Māori trails, Māori reserves, biographies and images. So this is really, these two projects um, are just a part of a whole wider work that we're trying to do to make our knowledge much more accessible to our people. So um, I'll sit down and be quiet, Helen will play the video, and then we'll come back and um, talk soon. Okay, cool. A lot of people have asked me what cultural mapping is all about. Uh, and it's about gathering all that knowledge and those traditions and histories of our people across the whole Rohe that we weren't able to collect and collate during the prosecution of the claim. The basic reserves for Maritim were set at the sea coast or around rivers and lakes where their natural food was. And what's happened to all that land since then? Bro? A lot of it has basically passed into European hands. Uh, some of it is still retained by Maoridom, uh, but not a lot. The gathering of place names went on as I was going around finding evidence. When we found a whole list of place names, we would bring them in and throw them in a the box so that we could go back eventually 
and have a look at what that all meant. The real issue about that was, is that the memory map, what was known to Maoridom in the very early days because there was no written word, was the place names, and the history and the stories and the Makai. So it was important to show where the history was and where all this Mahimakai went on and Utapas, old occupation sites, all that stuff. So that, that was pretty important, was to show how they viewed the land very early on before they could write. For Māori, and Kaitahu in particular, and Tōaiponamu, the names are the uh, uh, are more than just signposts uh, in, in, in the landscape. Names carry heritage and history. They're what people call mnemonics. The name triggers a whole lot of associated memory. So the critical thing for us is there's so much of our naming in our landscape actually carries our heritage and our story. The mapping project started uh, out of Tenure Review. We were having a few troubles of the High Country Past releases and with the local marais we decided to map uh, all of our cultural values in the High Country to give us better guidance on how we can protect our values. And then from there we extended the project to cover the whole of the Matohi Takua. That technology is awesome. I mean, we, we, uh, we never had that experience when we were growing up. And when you can actually ride a poakai up the, the Waitaki Valley to our Tupuna Lakes and right up to Auraki and over the top of the passes into Tatai or Potini, that that's pretty special. I mean, our paipai sit and, and just watch in awe as you guys with all the technology can uh, produce that stuff for us. It's amazing. So the Naito Atlas, the idea for that came out of the Naito Cultural Summit held at Pukatadaki in 2012, where our people explained that they wanted to create a digital atlas of Naito place names out of the uh, Culture Mapping Project. So since then, uh, we've been working towards creating a digital atlas of all of our place names uh, throughout Twaipanamu. The technological advances have just streamlined it so much. It's just, it's just gone here leaps and bounds. And what have we got now? We've, it's actually going to be an incredibly valuable tribal resource, uh, but the process is just so easy to do now. Uh, all you need is someone capable of utilising, leading the technology, technology and uh, the rest of us are just happy to uh, bask in the uh, glory of that uh, being available. When you look at the work that has been done on the cultural mapping, And you had to put that, say, onto an A4 sheet of paper. I would say you'd probably run into 100,000 pages. It is huge. I have had people asking me questions about how we control it. I'm not sure if control a word. I think it's how we share it. How we share it so that it 
still is ours. I think in the past we have locked stuff up and not shared it. And we're actually trying to find that way of doing it now. We'll all have to sit down and think about it, but we probably will end up sharing it with the world. I get, but I think it will always be ours. Probably more than I expected to happen. What I've got to thank is the people who have been constant enough to find material for us to add to it. That is a huge, huge help. Um, so that gives you a bit of an insight and behind the scenes of how this project just came to life. So um, the Atlas itself has been sort of 10 years of hui and wānanga, but um, when I see that and I see Trevor speaking, who only passed away last year, really this work is built on the foundation that Trevor and David and Auntie Jane and Tiffany did way back in the trustwood days for the tribunal evidence. So um, although it's sort of the archive team, it's really um, we're just part of this long line of people who've worked on this sort of kaupapa. So, um, but anyway, we'll get into the atlas and we'll show you what we're dealing with. So uh, Helen will play around on there. So that is 6,000 uh, traditional Māori place names that we've mapped over the last 10 years. Uh, without doubt, the most extensive uh, Māori place names research project that's ever occurred in New Zealand. And I'd probably say the probably the most detailed Indigenous place names project that's ever occurred, um, fully done uh, by the tribe, done by ourselves for our, for our people. Um, these pla are place names for pa, for kāinga, for settlement, mahinga kai, rivers, lakes, streams, mountain ranges, islands. Um, 6,000 Māori place names, all fully referenced as well. So it must come from a tribally reliable information source. Helen just can't make stuff up and throw names on there, nilly willy. Um, it's got to go through a sort of a thorough uh, process and all the place names get validated by the local marae. So if you're down in Moiraki, uh, basically has to go through David, give the tick off, and if, he's, and if he's okay with it, then that's all good, okay? And that, and a lot of this material we've used are environment court hearings and that sort of thing as well. So um, it's really important that we're going to put this information out there to defend our sites, we have to put our hand on our heart and say this is the best that we can do and be able to prove it if we ever get questioned. And that's happened uh, quite a few times, but we've always been able to come out of the better end um, and win that case. So 6,000 traditional Māori place names. When we first started the process, it was unbelievably slow. Uh, we used to have these hui uh, at the old Twaipanami house on Hereford Street. David, Trevor, Matapura, Jimmy, Kelly would come in with their personal papers, so stuff that they've hidden under their beds and in the closets and in the drawers, and they'd bring their stuff out, and we would find bits and pieces in libraries and whatever else. And we would sit there and map these names on 150,000 topographic maps. So, you know, David would say, that's a place name. So we'd have a label machine. We'd be like, <laughs> print. No, that's spelled wrong. <laughs> Do it again, you know. Then we'd have uh, our laptop. You'd type the name in an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, you'd probably map maybe 40 names a day and then you'd give it to our GIS person who would then load it up into the GIS system um, and it just took forever. 
and that and it was um, it was actually to be fair it was heaps of fun. We'd eat all this amazing food and learn all this amazing <laughs> information and and have good times that sort of thing. But when we decided that we wanted to create a digital atlas, we knew we had to pick up our game. And I see Annie's in the back row and Annie's partner Ian Gover uh, worked for Doc. And so David stole Gubby from Doc, came in for us and revolutionized how we met. He created this uh, place names database that was linked to our mapping system, which meant we could actually go out to different marae, sit there with our people and record place names directly into our database. And we developed a specific Naitahu structure, which allowed you to put in all the references. You could work out the, um, the exact location of the place name. And people would you'd map it or come up live. Then they'd go up and go, no, it's too far north. Bring it down, bring it down to the east. And you'd get it right in the exact spot. So we went from mapping maybe 40 place names a day to probably about 100 and 120. And that. So we'd just travel around um, different marae. Annie would come. Breeze was about only just a baby. She'd come as well hang out with us, and we'll just map all these place names over 10 years. So that sort of, um, and you would have seen the videos of how we did it, and people would come along, and it will be great times. Okay, so Māori place names. The second value we focused on are, are the traditional Māori travel routes as well. So these are these green lines. So these are the traditional travel routes our people used traveling throughout Tuaiponamu, traveling from settlement to settlement, settlement to fed gathering site. Um, and I tell this story quite often, um, but when I see that image there, I think of a guy called Joe Waka from Tamuka. And Joe was, how would you describe Joe, David? Different. <laughs> Different. <laughs> <laughs> very, very staunch, very switching to who he was. And when I just started working out uh, at Naitahu, um, I got sent down to Arofenua, where Joe's from, and got told um, that I was going to map all these sites from from Arofino and give it to Environment Canterbury. So you can imagine when we went down and met Joe for the very first time, told him I'm going to give all your information to Ekin, um, how that, how he reacted with that. And um, he, for three hours, he just had a go at me. And, that, and I always remember when um, the lady had this bell for lunch, like, you know, ding, ding, ding. And um, Joe goes to me and goes, look, you're a nice kid. You can stay for lunch. And after that, you can F off back to Christchurch. <laughs> and that, and uh, I sort of laughed, but he actually actually meant it. <laughs> but um, over lunch, um, he's sort of saying to me, he goes, can we map all these sites and not give it to ECAN? And I was like, yeah, I reckon we can do that, actually. And so after lunch, we just mapped all these place names throughout South Canterbury. But what I remember Joe vividly saying to me is, we were talking about these travel routes, and he said, the East Coast is State Highway 1, people travelling north and south, but every river was a travel route into the hinterland. And when I see that map, Joe's completely right. You know, every river that comes from the southern Alps to the coast is a travel route up into the hinterland, okay? So Māori place names, traditional travel routes, and the other one uh, are the original Māori reserves allocated to our people. Um, when you can't come. quite see them there. Yeah. They're so small. They are those red specks you can barely see in the background. Um, and that, so Helen's been researching the history of all these um, reserves, and, and that information can come up on Kahurumo, and HB will, will talk about that shortly. So um, Māori place names, travel routes, and the original Māori reserves, they are the three values we've focused on mapping, and they're available on Kahurumo. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about some of the key maps 
that we've used as well. So you can see an idea of where the information has came from. Um, and Helen will talk about the first map, um, which is this amazing map here, drawn in 1880 by Horikere Taero. Okay, tēnā tātou. Um, so yes, this is probably one of um, the most significant um, archives to Ngaitahu, archives of tribal significance. So this map, as Takere said, um, was um, created um, in 1880 um, by um, Horikere Taeroa from information he collected and collated at a series of hui that he held um, at settlements um, all along the East Coast, largely. And it's um, what, it's been a much loved map. And in fact, this is a tracing. It was traced multiple times. It records, um, there's about a thousand names recorded on this map and two accompanying notebooks. Um, and yeah, this has been traced lots of times. And sorry, this, this version of it was actually a tracing that was presented to the Native Land Court in 1925. Um, the original map is held in the Canterbury Museum. Um, at the time it was created, uh, it was um, a big commission of inquiry was occurring into um, the Ngaitahu purchases. And um, as part of that, uh, a lot of um, uh, Kaumatua were giving evidence. And whilst that commission, um, it actually ended because funding stopped, um, Horikere Tairo continued with this work, gathering all of this information, which really was, um, th these are largely um, mahingakai, food gathering places. And as you may or may not know, um, in the South Island, there were a series of 10 major land purchases between 1844 and 1864, which saw 80% of um, Te Waipai that had been owned by Ngaitahu into Crown ownership. And so whilst there were no actual land confiscations in the South, there was certainly um, duress involved and coercion, and um, some, at least a, a couple of them, were forced sales. But this map really covers the area um, of perhaps the most notorious of these land sales, which was um, the Canterbury and North Otago purchase, um, Kemp's deed. Um, the, ba the boundaries of that uh, purchase um, are contentious as well. It was unclear exactly as to where um, that purchase, exactly the boundaries of it were. Um, but this, this work, as you can see, it's, so it's not covering Banks Peninsula and um, like the Otago Peninsula and Muruhuku to the south, but it does cover that whole area from um, the west to east coast across the centre of um, Te Waipainamu. Um, so, yep, this, this map is of huge significance to us, and um, it was an assertion of mana, I guess, over the landscape, as well as um, tying into this um, the, the clause in Kemp's deed, which said that... Uh, there'd be, Mahingakai would be retained in ownership of, of Ngaitahu. And I mean, as everybody knows, you know, history is embedded um, in the landscape and, and in the place that you, and, and so is your identity. And so when you lose access to that, um, you, you inevitably see loss of culture, loss of language, loss of, of identity. And so I think it's fantastic for us to see um, this work that was being done back in 1880 by um, our tipuna, um, which, which was about 
um, I guess, a reassertion of that mana. And in a sense, that's exactly what we're doing in mm. this Atlas project is sort of reiterating that again. And it's fantastic to be able to use this resource. And we have got the names of um, a lot of the people who provided these place names. Um, yeah. The, yeah, the, um, Helen talked about these two notebooks. So with the map are these two amazing notebooks. Um, and it has the name, and then it tells you all the foods. Oh, jump back, HB. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, it's got all the foods gathered um, from that place, and it'll tell you who gathered them as well. And one of the issues that we have is that um, BT and others got copies of it as well. Helen? Oh, yes, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So um, James here is BT, well known um, Pakia historian, ethnographer, um, did um, us, Ngaitahu, a great service. Um, he was born in, I think, 1881 from Gore, and he um, was a prolific collector and um, of both um, Pākehā early um, sort of pioneer histories as well as um, southern Māori um, histories and information, and particularly place names. But Beatty was always um, looking for information and got hold of this map. Um, he, he, he'd been after it for about 20 years and knew about it before he actually finally got it in his hands, by which time it was in eight different pieces because it was so loved and had been traced all of these times and passed through different hands. So he got his hands on it and um, thought it was gold, because it is, but the, um, there are some issues with the map um, in that... Um, oh, hang on, I can show you, can't I? Uh, because there's, there's so many names and they're all jam-packed, a lot of them are... Um, actually shortened versions of, of names. And so Beatty took, took this as the gospel, um, but he did not have at the time access to these accompanying notebooks, um, which are written in the beautiful hand of Hori Kere Tairoa, and they're really legible, and um, he, yeah, he didn't have access to those. So in all of his published work, he published newspaper articles, he published um, 10, um, you know, significant volumes about Māori history, uh, but he was solely relying on this map in terms of a lot of his place name information, and some of it um, is incorrect because they were abbreviated forms. Yeah, and so those books that he published in the 40s, um, our people used their sort of Bibles. So any Naito Fano that loved Māori place names and histories would guarantee that copies of Harry Speedy's books. And when you look at the tribunal evidence, our people are quoting Beatty, but the issue is BT reads this map completely wrong in there. And so what we've been doing is sort of continuing BT's mistakes. We're not here to fuck Itium because he's an amazing man who we should always be grateful for. But really the job of our generation is to quietly tidy up these mistakes and get the true history out here. So this, this is a real good example here. So this place name here, you know, that's pretty hard to read there, okay? So BT gets the map, he looks at it and he goes, oh, I reckon it's blah, blah, blah. If you go to the PowerPoint, Helen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is Betty's book here. So he says, I think it's Pūnono Koro. And then he goes, well, and I also reckon it, that must mean uh, a bundle of nooses lying tangled up. You know, so it gets published. Our people go, oh, that's awesome. We'll use that as well. <laughs> and that, but the notebooks are the key to unlocking the map. And again, next slide, HB. This is the notebook here. And this is the actual tutudu name, Te Pū Koro Koro. That's the tutudu name there. And next to it, e kāinga nohoanga, e kāinga mahinga kai, e pā tūturu. 
It is a traditional food gathering site. It is a settlement. It is an old path. That's its two children name, and that's what it is there. And then it talks about all the foods that were gathered there. So really our job is to slowly correct all this material that's out there, get it to the best level that we can, and then the future generations can tidy up all of Helen's mistakes. <laughs> and that. Um, yeah, uh, we'll go to the next slide, HB. Oh, one thing I might oh, just yeah. add to that is that, um, you know, Takano is saying that our own people, you know, used BT as a source. And I think that that comes back to a reiteration of that point I made earlier, that when you lose access to your, yeah, yeah. your whenua, to, you know, your history, um, you, you know, you, 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 you lose it, you know, and you won't know those names of places. Um, and so largely our work has been about re-educating our mm -hmm. own mm -hmm. and giving this material back to our own people so they can own it um, first. So we, when you saw the map before with, you know, the 6,000 names, when we go on to look at the atlas shortly, you'll see that there's only, how many? 1,500 names on that because um, our people need to have time with those 6,000 names um, to reabsorb that, re-own that. Um, so just thought I'd add that. Yeah, and it's real interesting. When Harry Speedy published his newspaper articles in the 1930s, you've got all these whānau members from Moraki or Taco writing to Peter going, this is amazing. I'm loving reading my history. You know what I mean? There's a real thirst of knowledge from our people. And same with this here. When we talk to our people and present to it, they just love it. You know what I mean? It's just a different medium that we're using and that sort of thing. Um, next slide, HB. So this is the same notebook. Um, these are the Māori place names, the food gathering sites just north of Dunedin. And these names were recorded by Meriki Hiriki Hape on the 26th of May, 1880 at Waikawaiti. So we can not only show the place name, we can tell you who gave that place name, when they gave it, um, and whereabouts, and that sort of thing. Um, and so over time for the mapping project, what I've been becoming more interested in is not actually the place names, but who are these Ngāi people that give all this information? Because these are the people that sort of get left behind. They're in the shadows. And Beatty and Taylor and all these great people get all this credit. And now people who give them all the information sort of get locked behind. And so Tangata Naitahu and this project here, we're trying to bring our people out and say who they are. So next slide, HB. So this is Medica Hiriki Hapi right here. You know, born in Arofenua, moves down to Waikawaiti. He doesn't become tribally well known, but he becomes this really important leader for the Naito community living at Waikawaiti, just north of Dunedin. And his biography's in the book. And that, you know, and it's important that he gets credit for the work that he did, because if he didn't give these place names, there wouldn't be much on the 1880 map at all. This person here, he's um, a Rauri how would you describe Tamari, Dave? He was. Uh, Rawuri was a, a Tohunga in his own right. He was uh, raised in uh, a native home, a real uh, Tuturu Fano home uh, in the south. He lived, uh, well, he resided for most of his life, life south of the Waitaki River, where all good people come from. <laughs> uh, and he. Uh, he uh, <coughs> Spent many years gathering information. He travelled up and down the Waitaki River, our Rohe, in the south. Um, he spent a lot of time right down in Aruhura, uh, sorry, Awarua, and uh, up the Otago coast. 
uh, eventually settling in uh, Arofenua for some time and finally being um, interned into Tukubu or Tukenua at uh, Waikawaiti. Yeah, yeah. A, a man of huge mana, huge mana. So he, um, HB goes back to the, yep, I'm going to bring up to Mighty's map. This is, without doubt, the best map of Mighty place names in the Wanaka Hawe region, and HB will move into Lake Wanaka. This map was put together in 1898. So Tamaiti is an old man. He's, he's nearly 100 years old. He's sort of born 1800, somewhere mm -hmm. around there. Old, old man. And the surveyor, I think it's Thomas Broderick's his name. Yep. Thomas Broderick. So he's doing all the survey work out of Whenua, and he wants to know all the Māori place names throughout there. So they say, go talk to Rāori Tamaiti. He's the man he knows all this history. Goes and visits Tamaiti. He's living at, I think, Waiho at that stage of yep. his life. Um, he's an old man. And Broderick goes to the homestead. And Tamaiti is laying uh, on a mattress uh, in the lounge, uh, speaking fluent, fluent Māori. His son, Hinari, is translating the place names to Broderick, and the granddaughter, Kititou, is writing all these names down. And so from that hui, this map comes about. And Tamaiti lived up at Lake Wānaka Hawea, um, and he escaped when Tapu Uhu came down in 1830-odd, you know. Um, but this is the best map of my place names that you'll ever come across for Wanaka and Hawea. So um, a whole part of our project has been trying to find this amazing maps and information and make it more available to our people. Okay. That's the Tamaiti map. Uh, we might quickly look at the Bedi map, and then we'll go into Kahuru Manu perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the greatest map of place names after Murihiku. And HB will zoom in. Uh, all these names in red were collected by Harry Speedy. And what we have done is gone through all of his published books, all his newspaper articles, all his unpublished manuscripts, and found the reference for every one of these place names. You know, a massive, massive job. And all of these place names are recorded um, on our atlas. And we can tell you exactly where that name came from and sometimes who the Naito informant was as well. There's one criticism I have of Beatty. He would go, oh, this old Māori man from Bluff told me this. And that's like, bro. You're a bit more specific than that. Um, but when you work through his diaries and journals, you can work out where he has been, who he has talked to. So it is a bit of a maze, but you can if you work it out who he got the information from. So that's a huge part of, of our work in putting these biographies in Tangata yeah. Maitahu. And Beatty was a lot better than a lot of other Pākehā collectors, ethnographers in that regard. Yeah, he was amazing, yeah. Beatty. Um, okay, we better move on. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's it there. So we'll go into Kahuru Money, the digital atlas. So Helen will bring that up. Um, yep, gee, Atlas. Yep, go to the atlas. Okay, so on here, uh, you don't get the 6,000 Māori place names. That's far too tapu. You get the 1,300 place names instead, or 1,500 there. Uh, and we'll work with our people and add more of these place names on as time goes and as we feel more comfortable. Um, and there's a search box up there. So you can search by... Uh, address, you can search by the Māori place name if you're not, or just the English place name as well. So I'm not sure what Helen's typing in, but she's typing in I'm something. I'm typing in here. Yep. So here you go. So that's where we are. So you type in your address or where you want to find, you zoom in, you look around for any place names around there, click on the place name, so Otakara will be there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Try the, uh, the other one, yep. the other place name. There you go there. So uh, you click on a place name, and a narrative will come up about that place name between maybe two sentences and a couple of hundred words. And it'll tell you uh, what the name means, 
what foods are gathered there, any information about that place name. Just a really nice, easy to read narrative uh, about that place name. And if Helen goes down, every place name is referenced. And, that, and these are the references we got for that place name. So if you want to do more research, you can go and look at these references. Uh, in the future, what we hope to do is that you could actually click um, on the reference and it will come up on our online archives database as well. So this Naitahu Google uh, is happening here. Mm. Okay. Actually, just if you look at that reference there, I don't know how well you can read it. Like the top one, this is just an example of us giving mana back to the informant, the Naitahu yeah, informant, yeah. wherever possible. So whilst this is actually out of that 1880 Tairoa manuscript, a translation thereof, but um, that, that name was given by Tariwi Tehoka. So it's just, just a, yeah. So wherever we can, we always identify who the Naito person was that gave that place name and also uh, the Pākehā gatherer as well. So they both get mana uh, and acknowledgement for their work. And uh, all of those Naito informants will have biographies written about them in the future sometime. And hopefully you'll be able to click on their name and their biography will come up as well. And that. So you can see this Naito Google thing we're, um, we're building. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to talk about Native Reserves, HP? Yes. Is it over here? No, no. you gave it there. Do you want me to drive it for you? Mm, no, I can do it. Wait. Okay, so the other big data set that we have on the Atlas um, are the Native Reserves. So if we just look at um, Banks Peninsula here, for example, um, so there is so all of these little orange blocks um, are reserves, and if you click on them, it brings up just a really brief summary about um, the instrument that created that reserve, what it came out of, the kind of reserve, um, and um, its extent. Um, this data set is really interesting because you actually can't find it um, anywhere else. It's not mapped in this way. So, for example, the records of the Māori Land Court, they show Māori land parcels that are extant today. They don't show the historic um, boundaries necessarily. So um, here you'll find the reserves that came out of, like this one, for example, Kokorarata, which um, was one of the reserves allocated out of the um, Port Levy deed of purchase in 1849. Now, the Port Levy purchase is an example of one of the these forced purchases. Um, so, um, so we have those reserves that came out of the original deeds. Then there's also a whole range of other interesting reserves. Um, so in 1868, for example, there, was, um, there were big sittings of the Native Land Court here in Christchurch, which was part of this ongoing um, protest from, from Ngaitahu about getting such a raw deal um, out of those original negotiations with the Crown over land sales. And so in 1868, we get a whole raft of little bits of land that come back into tribal ownership. And this is um, one example here at Wairewa, at Little River. Um, and really in close proximity here, there's, there are other interesting reserves that came out of different mechanisms. So um, you may or may not have heard of the half-caste reserves, which are unique um, to, to Waipainamu um, and um, perhaps even unique in the world. So um, I guess early interracial marriage was um, a defining characteristic of um, southern Kaitohu in particular. And um, so by the time of the land sales, um, we had 
two, if not three, generations of um, you know mixed descent families um, living in the south. And because the um, original um, land sales were negotiated with full-blooded Māori, um, there were, it was determined that they had to make provision for some of these um, half-caste um, children and, and their descendants. So um, we first actually get that half-caste, half-i-kahi, um, in legislation um, in the Rakura Deed of Purchase, where there was specific provision for um, half-castes. I mean, a lot of people find that term half-caste um, sort of derogatory. I don't, because it's part of my whakapapa. Um, but so these allocations came about, and they're, they're dotted all over the South Island in obscure places. Um, it tended to be where, um, you know, we had such a mobile population, so a lot of southern people um, had come up and were living around Banks Peninsula region. So there's a whole raft of these half-caste reserves on Banks Peninsula, and that's just one example there. There's a whole lot of them at O'Kane's Bay um, as well. Uh, and then to the right of that, this is just another example of another obscure reserve that came into Ngaitu ownership. So there were a um, series of, um, they were called native hostels, which were built um, in different places. There was one in Otago, um, there was in Dunedin. So there was one in Littleton as well. So these were hostels that were built with the intention of being places for um, our people to come and stay when they were going into towns to trade. And so there was one at Dampier Bay um, in Littleton. There was a um, native hostelry there. Uh, and this little bit of land here, um, it, a swap was negotiated. This land was swapped for that land in Dampier Bay because the hostel was no longer being used. Um, yep, so those are just a couple of examples. But if you go onto the atlas and um, search around and just click on these, I mean, the thing for me that is just so dramatic, as I mentioned before, is just how small they are. Mm -hmm. When you consider that they, that our um, tipuna had, had the run of, well, at least 80% of the, of the island, and then they're reduced to this. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's mm -hmm. mind-blowing, really. So, um, yeah, check it out. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. I think we're running out of time, but um, um, yeah. So 1,500 place names, all the original Māori reserves. You can all they can all you can all be searchable through that search box up there. I'll quickly look at other parts of the website. So we'll jump on the trails part. HB. We'll go to the Waitaki Trail. So what we have are detailed stories um, of just three trails at this stage. And here you see quote. There's a digital map. Um, um, HB, yeah, scroll down. So you can click on a dot there, um, and an image will come up about that, and a little bit of information as well. So you can actually follow uh, the old trail. Um, and if you come down HB, um, there are different images. There are um, maps all related to that trail as well. This is real cool. This, these are, if HB goes down, these are uh, an amazing uh, sketchbook by Walter Mantel in 1848. Yep. So Mantel is um, the bad guy. Um, <laughs> so he's the one who's who a good drawer. Was, was and that's about it. But he, he does some good <laughs> pictures. So um, he was the one. He was a crown agent who negoci negotiated the um, the drawing up of reserves um, out of Kemp's deed. But he 
yeah, he's a bad guy, but he did create for us um, some of the earliest visual um, records of our kainga and, and people. So this is this is um, his sketch of looking down Kaitaroti Spit, that little, um, you can see a little village there, that's Birdling's Flat, just, just there. So it's looking down Kaitaroti Spit. Um, and then these just follow down his, his journey. So he was going from Banks Peninsula down to Tawaiaturuati at Arofenua. Um, and there's these fantastic images. There are other sketches that you may have seen of Tawaiaturuati, but um, these are particularly early and good. Um, and some um, of our earliest depictions of some of our tūpuna. So this is uh, Terehi from Tawaiaturuati, who was the rangatira there. Cool. Um, we will look at... Um, <laughs> to our people we'll look at um just briefly so um we don't want to do what betty did and leave our people behind <laughs> so basically what we are what we have done and we'll be doing is writing biographies of all those people at the marae who've championed this project uh, we've only got eight at this stage but we will keep adding and adding as time goes on um click on trevor um so trev like david have sort of been at the heart of this project way before me and helen sort of uh, came along, so um, Trev passed away uh, last year. And if you go down, um, just a little biography there, and then you click on that, and there'll be a 1,000 meter biography comes up as well. So these people who have championed it, who've owned it, um, get the credit that they deserve. And if you click on there, little photo gallery. Uh, That's as Trev. Well. So Trev's here. <laughs> and that, and, um, and. And Trev was known as the Wicker because of his. Um, capacity and propensity to be able to uncover stuff from the archives. And someone recently said to us that we um, oh, were wickers in training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all pretty cool there. And we'll go to the acknowledgement section. This will be the last part. Yeah. So this is uh, a mihi to everyone who's helped us out with the project. Um, and there's a photo gallery at the bottom, which HB will click on. Uh, these are just images of all the people who have helped us out over the years, uh, hui, hikui, field trips, uh, openings of museums, and we've displayed information, that sort of thing there. So um, as the project keeps moving on, we'll just keep acknowledging and adding uh, all the people on there as well. So um, not only does the website show the place names, but it tells you the story of the whole project as well, because it's important that um, that story is told and those people who deserve the credit for the work gets that credit as well. So. Um, that's probably it. I think we've sort of got to question time, I think. I don't know if anything Helen or Dave wants to add in. No? No. Um, but what I will say is that this is not the end. This is just a starting point. Both Kahurumana and Tanganaito just proved that we've got the capacity to, pr to produce these uh, amazing resources. Kahurumanu um, is in the Best Designs Award um, coming up in a couple of weeks. Tangata Naitahu made top 10 of the, the Ockham Book Awards and that. So um, there's real sort of motivation within the iwi to keep this sort of work going. And next year, we'll be launching Karia, which, is, which will be our online Naitahu archives database, which people will have access for papers and manuscripts and maps and that sort of thing as well. So um, yeah, we'll just keep on forging on and keep trying to produce great resources, I guess. Um, yeah, but I think the, the important thing, find the last thing I'll say is that these have been done by the iwi for the iwi. These haven't been done by others. Like we have paid for all these projects by ourselves. And I think that's why they've been so successful because our people, they know us, 
um, they trust us um, and they want to see the work out there in that. So um, I think this is the real, the, what makes our project so special is that they've been done by the iwi, for the iwi, which doesn't mean we can't share it with everyone else as well, but sort of our people sort of jump at the front of the queue in that. So um, thanks for your time and listening and I think it's questions if there's anything out there. Okay. Um, I'd like to thank you, first of all. This is an astonishing work. Um, I was just wondering if you can tell us and, and um, if you have a process for those other 4,500 names that you said it's too early to, to unlock them, if you like, to, to yeah. release them to the public. Um, have you got a process for that, for how they might come online, how they might come on stream? Basically, whatever Marai says happens, <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, really, the local Marai are the decision makers in this whole project and that. So if they say to us, come on, they put on 200 more place names, we'll do it. So really, it's when the Marai is ready to unlock that. But I think Helen is right. Like, this project has been all about learning more about ourselves and that. So. Our people just need more time to suck up all this information, have hui, have wanang, and that sort of thing. Um, but also, you know, there's a whole lot of work that goes into just one place name. You might have six different resources that say six different things. And you've got to have hui and wanang to debate those, to discuss those, that sort of thing. Um, and the names that go online in the Atlas are names that we feel 100% confident we, we've got them correct. We don't want to put incorrect information out there. So um, it's just a long process to actually get that one name right and the narrative and all those references. But it really is at, at the Marae's discretion, to be honest, of they say, pull names off or pull them off. But I think the I think you will see in years to come, all those place names become publicly available. It's just a timing thing and, and when we're comfortable, really, in that, but yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, that's a mic runner. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really inspiring. Um, I, I just got a question for you. I, um, speaking as an outsider, as Pākehā, um, I understand that oral traditions are, are kind of uh, always kind of uh, flexible, adapted to your audience and things like that. How did you kind of ch cope with kind of turning that into something that I guess is a bit more fixed or written down or permanent? I don't know. Do you understand my question? I think that um, the reality is that most of our sources um, are written. Mm. I mean, originally they have come from an oral source, ultimately, and that's, as we've said, that's our aim is to try and identify that source wherever possible. But um, that's, that's not to say that, like as Takaro says, there are maybe multiple versions of a, of a story, multiple versions of a name for a place as well, um, and we're fine with that. We'll record all of that. But the a thing that we, we won't do and we don't do is um, interpret, unless there's in some interpretation that's come from um, a kaumatawa that's mm. recorded. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, the work of Johannes Anderson, who's incredibly well-known in terms of place names, he um, had a tendency to interpret and translate, as did, as did Beatty, um, People want to do this. They say, oh, there's this name, and therefore we want, we want to know what it means. Um, you'll see in Gordon Ogilvie's recent publication, um, 
Thanks, Peninsula Place Names. He, he's done that to some degree, and we had some discussions with him about that and said, that's fine, you go ahead and do that. But we'll always hold back. Like Takarai said, we won't put something forward unless we know for sure that that's what our people understood that name to mean. So um, it means that in some situations there's sort of less information rather than, than more. And um, I think um, HB alluded to that we're quite inclusive as well. And that, so if you're fine, I've got a story about a place, then we'll record that down. If another fine has another story, we'll write that down as well. They might not got, they might not get published, but we will record everything down. And if we can't make that decision now, we'll just store it in the database, and future generations can find it and go through all that sort of stuff there. So uh, we are about recording as much as we can, but we're, we we're pretty um, the pretty thorough process of what will go up online or, or into the book. To be honest, yeah. Good work out, isn't it? Amazing work. Um, and I wanted to know, um, you mentioned that there was a bit of early suspicion, you know, in the early days when you started and, and there were things hidden under beds and things. Do you think you've found all those things now? Or have they all come out or was there more to <laughs> discover? There'd be more stuff in his drawers. And <laughs> <laughs> that. Uh, look, I think the big thing we can say, and I, Trevor and David really led it, um, they literally brought stuff out from their homes and gave to us for the project. And I think when people saw Trevor and David do it, they thought, well, maybe Taka and Helenaka team aren't too bad, maybe we can trust them as well, you know? And I think that was a real um, a big stepping stone for us. There probably has been a bit of distrust in the archive over the years. It's sort of stagnated and hasn't really moved forward and been accessible to our people, but... Um, when people saw Trevor and David bringing their stuff and using it and that sort of thing, I think people definitely followed suit. And so, I th yeah, that's right. That yeah, and I think they know that we're not going to rip them off. We're not about we're not actually about taking stuff. It's about ensuring that we can help them look after their stuff. If you know what I mean. So, if you've got amazing manuscripts, we don't have to take it, but we might send our archivists down and put them into proper packaging and tackle the staples out and that sort of thing there. So. I think we've got, I think there is a, a big willingness or there's greater trust now that people can give us stuff and know that we'll be looked after or we're here to help them out. I don't know what, yeah, yeah. yeah but I don't think you'll ever get everything. No, <laughs> but there is, um, you know, widespread pride in, and love of this project. Mm. And I would say, I would attribute it to, to Tarks and David. Um, I'm a late comer to this project. I've only been involved for the last six years. But um, it's, all, it's been so much about building relationships mm. and that, that, that's how we operate. You know, so many hilarious sort of road trips going around <laughs> different marae, you know, just we had so many cool yeah. adventure, adventures and um, it's all about building that rapport and trust and that's the foundation which has made this thing fly. I remember when we moved Trevor House into his rest home, we helped um, move all his furniture out and uh, so we went into his bedroom and, you know, he got all these drawers it's okay, you need to clear all that stuff out. I was like, yes, sweetheart, that's okay. But in his drawers, there are no clothes. There are all papers and whakapapa and manuscripts, you know what I mean, and that. But you can guarantee that it's still the case everywhere and that sort of thing. But I think people know that there's a, there's a place they can trust that will help them look after their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hi, um, I'm a Pakeha software developer from Wellington. I'm very impressed by what you've done here. Do you see yourselves as pioneers in some sense that perhaps other iwi will 
use what you've done as a template for doing something similar? Yeah, I do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we've created... approached by them or like... Yeah, we oh, every month there's some iwi come down for a chat and that sort of thing. But I think the thing is we've got the resources to do it. We can, we can do it by... We can fund it by ourselves. And I think that's the difference. Other iwi up north don't have the funding or the expertise. Um, like we were very lucky to have... I mentioned Ian before, but... No, we're very lucky to be able to pay a guy like him to come and work for us who who basically changed the way we mapped and that sort of thing. But I think we have a template that other iwi could definitely, definitely follow. But I think, I was talking about this the other day, that I think the trick with our work is that we're not out there trying to create new technologies. We are purchasing really reliable mainstream software, installing it, and all that efforts go into data, making sure that's correct, and putting that data into these really robust systems that there's an industry that can support it. I think too often, iwi get into this place of trying to develop software for themselves, and that's not our strength. I think our strength is our people and knowing your content and building that trust and support. And you know, and as software grows, you just upgrade it and that sort of thing. But I think we've got the model that can definitely be followed, definitely, yeah. And because we're fully funding it ourselves and controlling it ourselves, there's no compromise. So we don't have to partner with someone, go oh, after yeah. funding and compromise. So, yeah. Uh, Good work out. Huh? One minute. Oh, one minute. Tee, tee, ore mai mau, mau, mau te ua fiti mai te ra. Ere, re, ko tare. Kirunga pufara fara Rupare rauke mate ite ua Erere noke maito pokorua Keiki ite waike mate ite ua Tihore maite rangi Tihore mai, mau 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 te ua fiti mai te rā. Eie, eie, fiti mai te rā. Eie, eie, fiti mai te rā. Thank you for the uh, the gift of this precious taonga to the to the people of, of the island and, and the children that will come.